You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, This Beautiful Church, Seeing and Being the People of God. In this series, we see the beauty of who we can be because of Christ. We'll learn God's plan for making us mature in Christ so that we become a beautiful church. Now, hear the word of the Lord from Titus 3, verse 12 through 15. I am planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Everybody here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It is good to see you. Your faces look great. Uh, My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Our mission here at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel to build them up as Christ's church and send them out into the world. We have a a great picture of the totality of what that looks like. If if you've been noticing, we've been saying what our mission is week after week to try to help bring some clarity. What is it that we're doing here? Reach people with the gospel, build them up as Christ's church and send them into the world. And it's it's not so often that we can tie all of that together in one neat story, but we can this morning. Uh, Several years ago, a young postman showed up to one of our services, a man named Michael Miller. Y'all know Michael? Say yeah. yeah. Michael Miller! Yeah. His wife Jordan, got good-looking kids, Thea and Duke. Uh, Michael Miller shows up in postman's clothes that were two size too big for him. Uh, he got invited randomly by a friend, and he's like, I've been a Christian for a couple of weeks, it seemed like. Uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I got a ton of loss in my life. I'm suffering. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? He went through basically every class that we have, uh, matured, grew, developed. He came on staff with us um, two years ago, year and a half ago, two years ago, to lead our Connect ministry. And we saw him go from this kind of new, new guy on the outskirts who was reached by somebody outside the church. We saw him built up to the point where he was on our staff, leading one of our most important ministries. And now we have the, the mixed bag privilege of sending him Uh, Michael has felt called by the Lord to go join a church plant in South Louisville that's in a real strategic location um, in between a white part of town and a not white part of town. It's it's right in the middle. And so we we were eager to send him and to see him uh, help build this work of building a multiracial church. What does this look like? So uh, this is Michael's last Sunday as our Connect director. We're going to talk more about the church plant in the coming weeks and hopefully get the pastor of that church plant here and bring him before you guys. And, And we hope this is a robust partnership together, but you'll see Michael's face on Sundays less often now, and I wanted to take a moment and just honor him. Um, I love you like a brother. I'm proud of you. You're a good man. You and Jordan are gifts to Allison and I, and we believe in you wholeheartedly. So uh, can we just give Michael a round of applause? We love you. Yeah. Um, His transition is also a great time to join the Connect team if, if you're interested. Um, it's, it's, I didn't intend that to be funny. Um, but the Connect team has the privilege of welcoming people 
into Christ's church in, in many ways. Uh, for some for the first time, uh, they're making a hospitable place. Uh, we think about Romans 15, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And that's what we're trying to do week in and week out on the Connect team. Um, as we come out of COVID, more and more people are going to be coming back to church. Uh, and this is a great way um, serving on the Connect team to help people feel connected here as a church. If, if you're one of those people who started coming back and you're not really sure where you are here, or you don't feel very connected. If you give us six weeks on the Connect team, I promise you this will feel like your church. Uh, it's one of the best ways to meet people and get to know folks is, is through the Connect team. Um, we're going to be bringing in chairs this week to fill this auditorium back up. And so we anticipate more and more people coming back. And so it's a great time to step in and start serving. Um, if you want to make coffee, if you want to hold open doors, if you want to be a smiling, friendly presence in the auditorium or in the lobby, just helping people feel connected. Um, you can fill out a Connect card and say you want to serve on the Connect team. You can stop by the welcome table, say you want to serve on the Connect team, or you can just show up at 8.30 next Sunday, and we would love to plug you in. Um, it's also a great time to invite somebody to church because next week, y'all, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something else. I hope you're ready. Uh, next week, we're starting the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's... I read recently that Ecclesiastes is the Bible's first lesson, and everything else is the second lesson. Um, it's a Bible that's, or it's a book that's been grossly neglected in the evangelical church because it's difficult and it's complicated. Um, Ecclesiastes, if you've never read it, it comes right out of the gates and says, "Life is meaningless. It's all meaningless." Now let's talk. <laughs> uh, Ecclesiastes invites us to ask some of life's most difficult questions. Uh, what are we here for? What does all of this mean? What do we do with suffering? What do I do with money? What do I do with pleasure? What do I do with stuff? How do I love my wife? How do I love my spouse? Um, it forces us to face some of life's most difficult questions. And you don't have to raise your hand for this, but if you're like me and you have a disdain for church language, you know what church language is, is where we church everything up, how are you so blessed? Let, yesterday was better than today. God is good. All the, You know, it's just this kind of superficial fluff. Ecclesiastes does none of that. Ecclesiastes talks like real humans talk. Um, it talks like life as it really is. And so I couldn't be more excited about, we're going to spend three months in the book of Ecclesiastes. We were originally going to do six weeks in it. And as the lead pastors were, were digging through it and talking, we're like, mm -mm -mm, six weeks isn't going to be enough for what, for what we need to hear. Uh, so the title of the series is Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. And so the, the core of what we're going to be doing through the book of Ecclesiastes is how, does this, how do the scriptures teach us and equip us to receive all of life, every circumstance, as a gift from God and as an, experience, or an opportunity to experience his presence, rather than this endless striving for more. You guys get what I mean by the striving for more? If I had a bigger house, if I looked this way, a little bit more money, a nicer car, a little bit more influence, if we could just a little bit a little, in this endless striving in Ecclesiastes... We'll spend at least the first three chapters knocking our legs out from underneath us on that and, and instead teach us how we can receive life as a gift. So if you know anyone struggling with the meaning of life, if you know anybody looking for purpose in their life or how to find God in the midst of difficult circumstances, next week we're starting Ecclesiastes. And again, it's a complicated, it's a difficult book that will be foreign to many of us, especially if you've grown up in an evangelical church. So two books that we've got at the book table starting today they're right here in my hands. One is by my man, Zach Eswine, a graduate of Floyd Central High School, uh, grew up in Floyd County, so you know you can trust him. Um, he's got a book called Recovering Eden, The Gospel According to Ecclesiastes. This is the deep waters, y'all. Uh, if you, if you want to have something that you're going to chew on, uh, think about, that you're going to go on a walk after you read, th this is the one to get. 
If you want something that's more of an overview and to kind of shooting you straight down the plate, Living Life Backwards by David Gibson. Uh, these are fantastic books. They'll be for sale throughout the entirety of our Ecclesiastes series. But if you want to start rolling now, you can pick them up on, at the welcome table on your way out. Ecclesiastes. I'm, I'm turnt about it, you guys. <laughs> Is that the right way to say it? Did I say that right? Anybody in their 20s? Did I say that right? Okay. Um, yeah, and again, I, I strongly encourage you to find somebody to invite to church this week. It's a great time, and it's a great series as we're going through the summer. Um, so, Titus. Let's finish up Titus. Um, there's a word that I've heard that keeps coming up lately, the last year or so. Uh, it's the word lonely. Anybody here, hear anybody talking about being lonely? Or a way, a, a way we church up the feeling of loneliness is feeling disconnected. Anybody felt disconnected this year? A couple of people are like, yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, what is loneliness? Um, it's more than just not being around people. Yet, For me, I'm somebody that can be in a room full of people and feel profoundly lonely. Um, loneliness is a, it's a pervasive sense of being unknown. Um, no one sees me. No one, no one knows me. No one cares about me. Nothing I do is important. They're all flavors of, these are all flavors of loneliness. And if, if that feeling of unknown, being unknown, uncared for, if that, if that goes long enough, if that rolls on long enough, it starts turning into therefore statements. No one sees me. No one notices me. Nothing I do is important. Therefore, we find some reason to explain that. Therefore, and it's usually therefore, no one loves me. Therefore, my life is worthless. Therefore, I'm too much of a failure. Many of us, particularly over the last year, we've done a good job of dressing up those feelings by saying we feel disconnected. And we usually, not always, but often, find someone to blame for that. Because it's e have you noticed it's easier to be angry than it is to be lonely? Have you noticed it's easier to be accusatory than sad? A therapist once told me that anger is a poor man's sadness. It feels safer and more powerful to be angry than it does to feel sad. So in our loneliness, we blame someone or find someone or something to say that they've failed in. These are normal human responses to loneliness and to isolation. I'm not trying to indict anybody right now. Um, but I, I want to give just a little bit of a different perspective because some of us in this room or watching online will blame our disconnect on the church or the church's failed ministries or the pastors haven't reached out enough or the, the deacons haven't done enough. Some of us will blame it on COVID. We feel disconnected and lonely because of COVID. Uh, some of us will blame whichever president you don't like. Um, some of us will blame Bashir. Some of us will blame Holcomb. And then we get angry, and we think if we could deal with this guy, then everything would be okay. Um, here's why that doesn't work, or at least why I don't think it works. In 2019, uh, BP, before pandemic, right? pre-pandemic, in 2019, 63% of American men reported feelings of loneliness, deep feelings of being unknown, 63%, 6 out of 10. Now, as in most things, the ladies were doing better. Uh, the ladies, American women in 2019, only 58% of them reported feeling lonely. 
isolated, unknown. You total that up, before the pandemic, three out of five Americans reported loneliness, feeling unknown, unseen, uncared for. Do you know why that's crazy to me? That we could feel that unknown, that unseen, and that uncared for? Everybody, let's do a, a liturgical movement together. Everyone, reach into your pocket or your purse and find that large metal device. Y'all know what this is right here? Some of you are talking about living by faith, not by fear, uh, but you have a case on your phone. This is the true sign of faith, okay? <laughs> Look at this little modern, modern marvel here. Uh, right now, if we wanted to, I could get on FaceTime and see my friends in Cincinnati. I, I, could, I could see my in-laws in Ohio. I could, I could check in on Daniel Wainwright, our church planter in Lyon, France, and see what Kristen thinks, his wife, of the big beard that he's growing. We could FaceTime with Nick and Carrie Walburn and hear the amazing work that they're doing in Mexico. Mexico! That's another country, different time zones, other part of the world. I could see them and hear their voice right now. We cannot blame our disconnect on the pandemic because we were lonely before. That doesn't mean the pandemic didn't make it worse or make it more difficult, but if we're going to put all of our loneliness and disconnect eggs in the basket of the pandemic, we will not get any better. There has been a pandemic of loneliness rocking our country for decades, and statistics say it's only getting worse. And yet, we are the most connected humans the world has ever known. Did anybody drink coffee here at church this morning? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Do you know that came from Brazil? That coffee you... <laughs> Brazil! That's South America, y'all, right? South America. South America! That's a long ways away. There are hands that blessed you this morning whose names you will never know. You drank coffee from Brazil. You, tro you probably, if you were wise, drove a car that was either designed in Japan and built in Tennessee, right? You drove something that was built somewhere else. You didn't just go buy it yourself. We are more connected as a species than ever before in ways that are unfathomable throughout human history. We are more connected than any humans have ever been, and yet we are more lonely than any humans have ever been. As we've learned throughout the book of Titus, this series, this beautiful church, a beautiful church fundamentally is about relationships. The mission of God is about relationships. And a church will never be beautiful, it will never overcome our loneliness without relationships. It's not going to be programming that changes us. It's not going to be programming or some new government policy that fixes our loneliness. It will only, it has always only been relationships. Remember how Paul started this letter to Titus. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to this young man who's been left behind on this island with all of these new Christians. Paul says, I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. This is how he begins the letter to Titus. He calls Titus, this, my true son in the faith, my genuine child. This is Paul saying, this is my boy. It's a fatherly word of affection and endearment. He's saying, this is my guy. This is my guy. This is my boy. This is my Titus. He's giving this young man words of affirmation and affection. He speaks words of life and love to this younger man. He offers him a blessing, 
a father's benediction. He says, grace and peace. If you want to know how important that is, ask younger men in this room if they ever received a father's benediction like that. What would it mean to you to hear an older man speak these words of life, of love over you? The affirmation and blessing holds the whole book together. Paul begins here and he ends here. Words of support, affirmation, benediction, blessing. So for you who are feeling lonely, and you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not trying to come down on anybody who are feeling lonely or disconnected. How often are your words communicating support and blessing? How often are your words filled with life, with support, with affirmation? It seems to me in the last year, for for many of us, not all of us, but our words have most often been words of criticism or request. Our relationships are built around criticizing what that person does wrong. Or you notice how good of friends you became with people that hated the same things you did this year? And we have friendships built on mutual disdain. And so we come together to criticize something or we come together to make a request. Maybe you've had that experience of realizing your friends only want you around when they need something from you. Isn't it funny how many friends you think you have when you have to move? You get to ask all these people to come and help. Paul and Titus had a shared mission, building the church of Christ. And Paul knows that support and blessing are what's needed for beautiful relationships. Support and blessing are what's needed for beautiful relationships relationships. It doesn't mean we never say hard words. It doesn't mean we just say everything is fine and everything is okay. But those hard words must come in the context of an encouraging, a benediction-filled relationship. They're best received, those hard words, when they're coming from someone that we know loves us and supports us. So again, when was the last time you spoke life to someone in our church? Words of life are the words that make someone feel like they can do it or or they'll make it or you believe in them or you see them. What what might happen when we think about the next 12 months if we said one one of our goals, and every church member, one of our goals is to start noticing people. Notice the little things that, that people are doing that you can support and encourage. When you see someone walking out of the lobby into the kids' wing and they pick up a piece of trash on the way because they care about our park and they care about our grounds being beautiful, to notice that. What would happen if we started being archaeologists of grace, looking for reasons to be supportive and affirming to our brothers and sisters that we committed to noticing them? I see you. Grace and peace to you. This would make us see how interconnected our lives are with one another as we build the kingdom of God together. This is such a strong theme running throughout the entire book of Titus. I see you, I notice you, you matter to me. Look at how he concludes. Verse 312. This is the kind of thing that's easy to skip over in the Bible. It's like genealogies or something. He says, I'm planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. And you may read this and be like, why in the world is this in the Bible? (laughs) Send that guy, send this guy, I'm going to go here, come if you can, but don't forget about the lawyer. What's happening here? In, In his last letter, or his final words to this church planter in Crete, Paul is calling people by name. Do you see that? 
He's calling people by name. He's saying, I will see you, or I see you. He will come to you, to his true son, his boy, his genuine child, Titus. Try your best to meet me. Why would he say that? Because I want to see you. He doesn't say, try your best to bring me the report of how many conversions you've made in the last six months. Send me a budget update. He's not saying that. I want to see you. He names Artemis, Tychicus, Zenus, Apollos. He's calling these people by name. He knows what they're doing. He believes in them. He's supporting them. He's helping Titus to see how their lives are interwoven together, how they need each other. And so he tells Titus in verse 13, see that they're given everything they need. See, here are all these people that are working together with us. Take care of them. Support them. Take care of each other. This is so revolutionary if we're willing to embrace, embody what we're seeing Paul do here. Listen, here's one of the devastating results of loneliness. Loneliness bends our vision around back into ourselves. In some ways, that's the fundamental nature of sin. Our our vision narrows and everything just turns inward and we become self-consumed. Our mission in life becomes getting out of loneliness. We become consumed, consumed with ourselves, our individual circumstances. This makes us not archaeologists of grace, but archaeologists of failure. We come in with a predetermined notion and we scan the room looking for evidence of the things we know are already going on. If you are convinced that you're unloved and unseen and unknown, you will find evidence to support that. We become rigid and critical. When we are consumed with our own story and our own circumstances, it's a downward spiral that is very, very difficult to break out of. There's so many things Paul could be talking about here. And maybe it's just our current climate that has me thinking this way. We talked about it real briefly last week. It's stunning to me that in this letter, Paul never mentions Nero. He he never mentions one of the most cruel emperors the world has ever known, a wicked, a wicked, evil man. Paul doesn't mention his sufferings or his circumstances. In all of his letters, he mentions his suffering and pains in just the briefest of ways. There's never these extended discourses and how how awful everything is going for him or how much pain he's in. He's not focused on his situation. He's focused on taking care of each other. He's part of a bigger story, a larger mission, and that's what creates a beautiful church. This doesn't mean we disconnect from everything bad in our life or we act like nothing bad is happening. That's not what Paul does either. But that's not where the focus of his intention and his energy is. In in verse 14, he says, Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Loneliness, unproductivity, criticality, these are all things that swirl together. We're consumed by our own needs. We only focus on our own needs. We don't look out for other people. We become more and more unproductive, more and more critical, more and more rigid and angry. And then you think being rigid, angry, and critical will make you feel closer or further away from other humans. It is a death spiral of loneliness. If you focus on your needs exclusively, hear that word, exclusively. We all have needs. We all have real human limitations. 
But if, though, if your needs and your limitations are all that you focus on, you will eventually become unproductive, isolated, and alone. If rigidity and criticality are the primary way you enter the world, you will end up isolated, unproductive, and lonely. So, let's try to tie some of this all together at the end of Titus. And I just have some big picture questions I want you to consider. First, what mission have you joined? Or to put it another way, maybe that has less baggage, what is the larger story that your life is about? Now, obviously, you're a church, so you have a hint of what the right answer would be. Well, Jesus, or the Bible, or the king, something like that. I know the right answers are easy. But here's a way to find out what's true for you beyond your words. Or you could think of your words as the formal reality. This is what I will speak and say. How do you get to the functional reality? How do you know what is truly the mission of your life? Well, what gets your words? What gets your prioritized time? And what gets your money? <laughs> so your words... If we looked at your text messages, manuscripts of your phone calls, your social media posts, your emails, what in your life gets the most number of words? It's probably what your life's mission is about. What gets your prioritized time? You know what I mean by prioritized time? The thing where like nothing gets in the way of this. This is set in my schedule, like a meeting with my boss. This is prioritized time. Nothing gets to pull away from this. What gets your prioritized time? I know most of us know how to do that because, well, I'm not going to get an example. Someone's going to get mad. For me, nothing's going to get in the way of 1 p.m. kickoff come September 9th when the Cincinnati Bengals start their 2021 Super Bowl run. Amen? Amen. Amen. Your prioritized time. What will not touch it? Three, what gets your money? What gets your money? Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. There are folks who come to church for decades and decades and take and take and take and give nothing. And it's not about the budget. It's not about our church budget. It's about your freedom in Christ. It's about your confidence and belief that the Lord will provide for you. It's about your willingness to obey him. So you want to know what is the mission of your life? What gets your words? What gets your prioritized time? And what gets your money? And whatever that is, that's a good indication this is the story of your life. And let me tell you, a great mission, a bigger story in your life, it is very, very likely that it will not feel convenient to you. At least not at first. When Jesus bids a man to come to him, he bids him come and what? Die. Has anybody said, you know what? Today is a good day to die. Like I'll put off death until Saturday at two. That fits in my schedule much better. The call of Christ to come and follow him will likely not feel convenient to you at the time. Ask, I've been so encouraged by how many folks are coming to serve on Sojourn Kids now. It's been a crazy year, and they've come out. Ask somebody on Sojourn Kids, does that feel really convenient to show up at 8.30 and to, or 8 o'clock and wipe down, sanitize all of the rooms and run around with these kids for an hour and a half? Does it feel convenient? Does it feel convenient to change a, a poopy diaper of someone else's kid? Does it feel convenient to stay later after the service and take the trash out? Ask our musicians. You know musicians get here between 6 and 6.30 every Sunday? 
They're rehearsing throughout the week. Our liturgy writers, we have a team of folks that write the liturgy that are praying over us, that are considering the scriptures and that we're syncing up the sermon. There's so many things that we do that people in our church are doing that are not convenient. And listen, if, if serving kids, if, if joining Sojourn Kids for you, because maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do Connect, but I'll hop in and Sojourn Kids. If that is only about me feeling better about myself and finding an, a comfortable, easy way to do it, you'll probably serve in kids for a couple of weeks. And then it'll, you'll be fussy and, and you'll step out. But do you know what we're doing over there? Do you know how many hundreds of kids are over there? And they're hearing about Jesus' love for them. They're learning the whole Bible. They're being catechized. They're being taught the core doctrines and the beliefs of the faith. We are forming young men and women to follow Jesus. And soon, like we've been a young church for a while, but I'm starting to see Sojourn Kids' prom pictures, right? Like these kids are getting older and we are unleashing men and women formed by the gospel into the world. The men and women who serve, go talk to Chuck and Larilla Hickey, who who've served years faithfully, Sunday after Sunday, not because they're super pumped about Sojourn Kids or it's such a convenient way to serve in my schedule. They have a bigger story. We are forming these children into the image of God, their true selves in Christ, and we're going to unleash them into the world. Do you want to be a part of that kind of a bigger story? The, the musicians don't show up just because, you know what, Sunday at 6 a.m. is my favorite time to practice. This is just when I get the most excited to play. You know, these musicians are going to bed at 2 or 3 a.m. on Saturday night because they're musicians and they do whatever. Who knows what they do, right? Like, why are they here? Because we are a liturgical church. Our liturgy is the work that we are doing together on Sundays that form us into the image of Christ. So somehow in the mystery of the gospel, in the mystery of the spirit, as we pray together, as we sing together, as we thoughtfully move through these various aspects of the Christian liturgy, we are forming people into the image of Christ. We are breathing words of hope into people. See, if you just see these Sunday ministries as things to do to be like, I'm a good person now and I'll feel better, you just won't do it very long. If you can see it as part of a bigger story and a bigger mission, you will serve regularly with gratitude. And you can join the band. You can serve in kids same way you can in Connect. Fill out a Connect card. Go to the welcome table. But regardless of where you serve, you have to see it as being a bigger story. If you have no idea what the bigger story of your life is or could be, you should start serving at church, somewhere that's inconvenient, that you don't know if you'll like or not, but you're not doing it anyway now, right? So just try something. Step in and, and see what would happen. We are swimming in opportunities as a church for you to join a bigger mission. If you, so what's the mission of your life? What is the bigger story that you are participating in? I think that's the, the first kind of summary question that Titus is asking us to answer. A second one that's related to it. Whose good are you committed to? Whose good are you committed to? And I'll be honest, this is a painful one for me. Um, the person whose good I am most committed to, that means who, gets the, who is the biggest priority in my life? Whose well-being, happiness, joy, satisfaction am I most interested in? And it's me. It's me. And I hope I'm not alone in that because otherwise it was just real embarrassing, right? Like, you see that, right? What topic gets your most words or thoughts? Is it not so often me, I? It's easy for me to see others only as characters in my own life. If we're committed to our own good, 
you will not serve, or at least you won't serve sincerely. You won't serve when it's hard or when it's inconvenient. If you're only committed to your own good, you won't join a bigger mission than your own little life. How do I know we have a small life, a little life? Well, you'll learn about it next week in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We sum it up for you. Life is short and you're going to die soon and you'll be forgotten shortly after that. So what do mean you have a small life, a little life? Who in your life are you looking to from a posture that says, I am committed to your good, to meeting your needs? What's the mission of your life? What's the bigger story you're playing in? And whose good are you committed to? And the third question, do you want to be beautiful? You want to be a beautiful Christian? Do you want us to be a beautiful church? Or maybe to those feeling particularly isolated and disconnected, um, to those willing to say this was true of me before the pandemic. Another way to ask this, do you want to be a beautiful question is, well, how is all of this working for you? How is your not serving, you're not giving, you're not participating in the life of our church? How is that working for you? I'll, I guess another moment of confession. Nothing has brought destruction and pain into my relationships the way I have. My commitment to the mission of my individual life, my commitment to my own good above others, nothing has brought destruction and pain into my closest relationships the way my own commitment to my own good above the good of others has. So, are you lonely? Are you disconnected? How is your strategy for addressing this working? Those are the questions that Paul is providing us beautiful answers for. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who encountered the risen Christ, who was discipled and sent by the risen Christ, the great evangelist who wrote roughly a third of the New Testament, and here he's affirming this nobody church planter named Titus. He's taking the time to honor Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, and Apollos. He's making sure his friends are cared for and supported. He's sharing credit, and he didn't have to. He's caring for the needs of others, and he didn't have to. And this is because his life was caught up in the mission of God, which is beautiful relationships. Listen to his final words to Titus and the young believers in Crete. May God's grace be with you all. This isn't a cute way to end the letter. This isn't just a good Christian conclusion. This is the essence of a beautiful church. The grace of God given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is our pattern, not Paul. We do not follow Paul or Apollos. We follow Jesus. That grace is the pattern that we follow. Paul did what he did because of what Jesus had already done. To a people divided and rebellious, God came and lived among us. To a people broken and lost, God did not come with a word of condemnation or even requests for payment. As Mark's gospel tells us, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the cross, Jesus bore sins that we had done. He bore the payment of our selfishness, our inwardly bent focus. He bore the judgment we all deserve because he was committed to our good. He was committed to the mission of God. Jesus came and lived amongst the people that didn't want him. He served the people that rejected him. 
And those same people he loved and blessed turned around and killed him. And at the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them. We will only be a beautiful church to the degree we follow the pattern of Christ. Will you follow him on his relational mission? Will you follow him serving those around you? Will you follow him filling your words with affirmation and blessing? Are you willing to try something new? Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. If anyone wants to save his life, he must lose it. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. The Lord's Supper reminds us what Jesus has done for us and grounds us in this empowering presence so we can go and follow him. So we remember the night he was betrayed. This is the pattern of the Christian life. He takes, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. And he says, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink as often as you eat in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.